Welcome to the A Very Full Plate podcast, where we're all about food, wellness, and parenting in the real world. If you have a very full plate but still want to live the healthiest life possible, you've come to the right place. Every week, Amy and Emily are breaking down different strategies for raising a healthy family, often with the help of awesome guest experts. Want to hear more from Amy, our resident natural foods chef? You can find her at Cooking with a Full Plate. Want to hear more from Emily, our expert personal organizer? Find her at Hall Harmony Homes. Hey there, it's Amy, and I'm so excited to be here today with Valerie Friedlander. Valerie is so awesome, and I was lucky enough to connect with her recently in a community that we're both in called Boss Moms. Basically, I asked the group, I said, I have this vision for on my podcast having a conversation around healthy relationships and how those relationships can support us in living a healthier life as a family. And who would be a great expert to talk to? And the overwhelming response was, you need to speak to Valerie. So I am thrilled to be having this conversation with Valerie today and recording it for you guys to hear. Valerie is um, an expert in working with busy moms. She's a coach. And from what I gather, Valerie, your special expertise is helping moms identify and pursue their passions and make space for that. Is that accurate? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it comes down to what a lot of people use the term of mindset, but it's really deeper than that. It's our perceptions, the way we see the world, which gets created throughout our entire life. And, um, those perceptions determine what we see and what we believe possible for ourselves and how, like what we, what we pick up from the world even. So, and that tends to lead to how we engage the world, which then reaffirms what we believe and we get in patterns and cycles. So what I do is I help people break through those patterns, Mm -hmm. identify those patterns, navigate around those patterns, utilize them if they're helping and shift them if they're not. Cool. I love that so much. We were, we have been having a few conversations recently. My dog has something to say too. We've been having a few conversations recently with um, Kim Ludeman, who's a confidence coach. And she was talking about the importance of recognizing your stories so that they aren't ruling you, but you you can kind of like use them to your best benefit. Um, And then I also had a conversation recently with um, Samantha Stiffring and we were talking about reclaiming your goals and mindset around that. So I think this is like the perfect continuation of those conversations. And I can't think of a better way to come at health than also recognizing those patterns and the stories we tell ourselves. Because I often find that when I'm working with folks, the stories behind what we think is possible is such a dictator for the way that we show up, the way that we feed our family, the way that we move our bodies, like all of these things. And I think we often don't even know the stories that we've internalized from growing up and seeing our family be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has so much to do with what we think is possible. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, those they're often subconscious triggers and they're just connections that have been made and assumptions that have been built off of those connections that feed into what we, the way we engage the world. And then we gather information based off of that to reaffirm. We're very dedicated to being right. Even if being right isn't helping us, (laughs) it's basically what it is. We get super dedicated to being right and comfortable and safe um, and what we define as comfortable and safe isn't necessarily what's actually the most helpful thing for us. Um, it's just the way our brain has wired itself over time. 
Yes. I think that's such an important point, that comfort and safety, they feel good in this moment. But then I've found for me that where I seek comfort and safety, often for me, this is in my business and don't push myself. Then I spend a lot of time cycling on feeling bad that I didn't take action and move forward. So it's like a double-edged sword, right? Like here I am comfortable and safe and not putting myself out there. And yet I'm spending all this time that I could be doing something productive to move forward with just cycling. Yeah. Well, I was just, um, I was just talking about this. I did a, a newsletter where I was looking at how my kid is constantly doing things. I'm like, you know, like for example, with a toy or something like, don't do that with the toy. You're going to break it. You're going to break it. No, if you keep doing that, you are going to break it. And you know, we don't have like a parent necessarily telling us, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Sometimes we wish we did, but yes. um, <laughs> for him, it's like, well, maybe mom's wrong this time mm-hmm. and I'm having fun. So I'm going to keep doing it. Maybe it won't happen this time. Mm-hmm. And for us, we get into these cycles of, it's not that it's, it's not that it's fun. It's that it's safe. Yeah. You know, so we've yeah. lost the, I do this because it's fun. And we've gone into, I do this because it, I have learned that this keeps me safe. And that's it. So what happens is I, I've actually been doing some research around the brain wirings and okay. stuff. what happens is that we have the amygdala. That's like our, our ancient part of our brain that gets triggered. It's our fear and, and, um, anger responses that survival mode kind of thing that happens to keep us protected. Yes. And we develop these connections to certain situations that fire those off. And sometimes it's, if it's a strong enough button, it, it bypasses our cortex, which is the thing that gives us all the details and all the definitions. And it, it bypasses that and gives us these kind of general, like, Ooh, that's familiar freak out or like, you know, avoid that or go away from that. And so we don't think we just, we believe ourselves, right? Yes. Like we, we can't read the label on the box that we're in. So we believe ourselves and we act accordingly. And then we teach ourselves that we're right over and over and over again. And so to shift that, you have to first take, have someone to help you take a step back and go, Hey, there's a box here. Yes. <laughs> and what's, what is that box? What's, what's going on in that box? Like how big is that box actually? Is that box working for you? You want to do something different with that box? Um, and then start engaging the frontal cortex to actually question the, the things that are automatically happening. And when you bring the frontal cortex back into play, then you can start making some of those shifts. I don't, I'm not super, like I have not studied this. It's been more of like a pat, like I'm, I get really nerded out yes. about it all that sort of thing, because I, I love the affirmations of what I do. So often, so often people think of, of mindset work and life coaching and all that stuff is like, somebody's going to tell me what to do and they're going to give me these affirmations and I just have to think positive and all these sorts of things that, that end up feeling kind of wooey, like, and, and then, and not always working because just, just telling yourself not to think something or don't believe that doesn't actually work. It, you have to go deeper than that. And it's very personal. Um, and so I like to tie in that there, there really is some science behind the shifts that happen and what's going on and the work that gets done when you're working with someone and how there's a reason there's nothing wrong with you of just saying affirmations isn't working. <laughs> 
Yes. You know what? So much of that I feel like has to do with food too. And I am not an Mm -hmm. expert on sort of like the brain and the way that it works with food. But I think for me, it's as simple as this. Think about like what we started as, which was these like nomadic peoples that were in charge of protecting ourselves and eating food when it was available, right? And now food is always available. And then we get frustrated with ourselves because we can't quit sugar. We can't avoid carbs. We are eating because there's food always around us. And we are struggling with like this modern construct that we're in. But there's a very real reason that our brain and body work those ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so it really resonates with me, this idea that not only related to our food, which I think is something people can wrap their head around, but related to everything, we are wired for short-term survival, Mm -hmm. but not like long-term thriving, Mm -hmm. wellness in life, in ambition, like in all of these things. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of intention and a a lot of attention to that and and being willing to question the reality that you're experiencing and know that that might look different. Like oh, the way I experience a situation sometimes looks different than the way you would experience a situation. And, um, and that actually ties in really well with relationships um, because that's very much a factor in where arguments come from is just the, the perception that you have of whether or not that whatever that person said, if you take it personally, if it feels like an attack, and if you feel like it's an attack, then you're going to get defensive mm-hmm. and, um, and respond accordingly. And then the way you respond, likely if you're feeling attacked, you'll respond in defense, you know, either retreat or attack back. Yeah. And then the response to that is naturally, I feel attacked too. Now I am going to attack back. And now you have an argument. Right. Um, on and on it goes, right? <laughs> Exactly. And so it all has to do with the triggers, the associations that we've unconsciously made in our subconscious. And, you know, like you said, with food and things, I mean, then you, you also throw in the hormones that get generated mm. and those also impact the, the way our, our synapses talk and what, what happens there. So, um, I, I learn and teach my, you know, teach myself that this calms me down. And maybe there isn't an, uh, a direct correlation, but if I have always done it, then it's easy to keep doing it unless you create a new connection that ties into like the science of habit of you have a stimulus, you have a response, and then you have a, um, a, a reaction or a yeah, stimulus response and then um, results or reward. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't change the stimulus. You're always going to have a stimulus. I mean, you might be able to mitigate it sometimes, but that's usually outside of yourself. Sure. We don't- and then the reward is what you get to, to address that stimulus um, from the response that you have. So the trick is shifting the response so that you can still get the reward without doing the behavior that's having the negative effects that you don't want. Mm-hmm. So, so I could see that something as like, I'm stressed out, so I eat sugar, which by the way, I did this morning. I had coffee cake because my kids were crazy. And um, Coffee so, cake. <laughs> no, it's not always like perfect. Yeah. And does it need any more explanation? There was coffee cake in the house, so I had it. Um, but the I I have been in the practice of like also really just like working on like taking a deep breath. And it turns out that eating some sugar and feeling calm after that, because I've like released things and feel enjoyment does work a lot the same way as taking a deep breath and just like getting a little bit of space and then feeling calmed down and happy. And by the way, then I don't feel 
guilty that I ate the coffee cake, which uh, I actually don't feel guilty about it. Like, but, but I know that for many people, especially where you're in kind of an endless cycle of it mm-hmm. and can't get out of it, then it leads to guilt. And then you're cycling on that. Right. And yes. I have just been feeling this call of like, it's so boring all of this cycling on things that we don't make progress on. And so part of the reason why I love digging in with folks like you on some of these issues that I know many of us struggle with is because where we can step out of that endless cycle, that struggle, then we can be so much more um, intentional and productive and meaningful in our lives and have less of that boring narrative that we just go round and round on. Yeah. In our it's heads. all about making the conscious choice. Mm. So it really is a very different experience to consciously choosing to do something, understanding, all right, these are the consequences to that. Like things that we try and instill in our kids, right? Like yes. make this choice then this is, these are the consequences. If you're willing to accept those consequences and the making that choice is going to get you these things and that works for you, then make that choice. But if it doesn't make a different choice, the problem happens when we don't feel like we have a choice. When we feel like yes. we have to do it like this and otherwise I'm a bad person or, you know, bad things will happen or whatever our assumptions have become both about ourselves and about the world that we are engaging. Yes. So this goes back to that story you were talking about. There is so much here I want to dig into, but I realized that we didn't even have you tell us a little bit about you. So can you tell us like (laughs) what your family looks like and where you live and, and how you got into all of this? And then I want to um, start diving into this like relationship piece of things. Like how do we do all this in relationship with a partner? with kids running around. (laughs) We're going to solve your entire life today. No. (laughs) Um, so I, I am in Chicago. Um, I'm relatively new here. We've been here about four years. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, but I've kind of been all over the place. Um, so in Chicago now, and for the foreseeable future, I have two small children, two boys, a, uh, almost eight year old and a four and a half year old. They really keep me on my toes. I also have a, uh, a husband and a crotchety old cat. It's almost 14, also male. So I am surrounded by <laughs> testosterone and it's only going to get worse as they get older. So, so um, <laughs> I like to think that, that I just, they, I needed to have that to balance out my feminine energy or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I am also very into all kinds of creative things. I am a big nerd, uh, not just in the science-y stuff, um, but like sci-fi, fantasy, done cosplay. I make costumes. Um, I, yeah, I love all, all things creative and tend to take that to a bit of an extreme, um, (laughs) when I can. (laughs) So do your kids have the coolest Halloween costumes? Have you? I mean, I like to think so. Yeah. Mine do not. Mine's been a ghost like three times because that oh, ghosts are fine too. We, we actually we tend to try and go like themed. Okay. As so a this year they decided they wanted to be mice and like the older one wanted to be a mouse and then of course the younger one wanted to be a mouse and I was like buy it two mice and I got four people. Hey, we can do three blind mice and originally I was gonna be uh, the um, the the farmer's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought, gosh, you know, I have these Ren Faire costumes and they, they can be a little bulky. So I think one of them might fit my husband. Gosh, it would be so much funnier if he were the farmer's For wife. For sure. <laughs> so I'll have to send you a picture because 
can share that. It's Please do. I love that. Awesome. I have to say. <laughs> I love that. Well, it sounds like he's really game for things too, which is so fun that he's like up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He's, he's Put me in a race. <laughs> I, I'm very appreciative of how willing he is to play along, as it were. <laughs> so awesome. I often feel that way about my husband. Like, I've been bringing him along on this wellness journey and to kind of transition into that for a long time. Like, I was like, I'm going to eat this way and I'm going to live this way. And he's sort of like, okay, well, you're making food. So, like, I'll do this thing. And he's only, you guys, like, it's been 10 years that I've been on this journey and he has been game for it. Like, he shows up, he has the dinners I make, he is he's into it, but he hasn't like sort of taken it on himself. Like I know when he's at work and stuff, he's like eating huge handfuls of goldfish and like, you know, eating burgers and that's fine. Like I, I have not given him a hard time at all because that's his life and he gets to decide how he shows up. But just recently he's kind of like started on his own wellness journey and it has been a really interesting practice in watching him make his own decisions and sort of come along. And So I think that's maybe like a great place to dive in is I, so often we decide something, right? Whatever the something is, how we're going to discipline our kids, um, how we are going to eat, what we're going to do for work, like all of these things. And I have often said that I've never had to be more thoughtful and in partnership with my husband than since we had kids. Like I really thought we were partners before we had kids and it turned out we just lived parallel lives and showed up at the same house at the end of the day. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, when you work with folks who are making big changes in their life, whether it be wellness-related or work-related or anything, like, what is the starting point for bringing your partner along on that journey or at least not dragging them behind kicking and screaming? Yeah. Um, so with that, the way I kind of look at it is when you have an equation. You okay. have person A plus person B equals relationship C. Okay. So you don't have to have both A and B change for C mm-hmm. to change. Just one. A changes, C naturally changes. Now that can be a little scary because you don't necessarily know exactly how C will change when yeah. you as A decide to make changes. Um, and so anytime we stretch our comfort zone, anytime we do something different, there is a natural discomfort to that. Uh, and that's normal. And so one of the things that's really key is hopefully you have a relationship where you can communicate and talk about the concerns and, and, and actually engage each other in conversation around the topics. That's not always the case because the big thing to know is that everybody has triggers. Everybody has stuff that they bring in. And and what you talk about, like once you have kids, there's so many things, so many, so much baggage as it were, not good or bad. It's just, you know, what it is from the way we were raised and what we think is the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And just a lot of stuff around that. We don't even realize we carry with us. Until it's so true. Parent. And they have the same thing, but it's different. Even if you're like, your parents are awesome or, you know, whatever, like maybe you get along with your in-laws or maybe you don't, it doesn't actually matter. It's the way that you and your spouse interpreted mm. the way you were raised, not, and the d- different pieces of it. And it's, again, a lot of that is subconscious. So it makes it really tricky because you don't even realize it. You're just like, no, this is the way you should do it. 
<laughs> like yes. whether it's the way you should not do it or the way you should do it. It's just this, or, you know, sometimes it's just, it's very emotional too. And our emotions are not always logical. They're just there. And mm-hmm we often think that they are based in what's going on. This is happening and that made me feel, but emotions aren't about what's going on outside of you. Emotions are about the way you're experiencing what's going on outside of you. So emotions aren't information. We take it as information as what's happening and it's in reality and it's not. Emotions are information about you and the way you're experiencing what's going on. Um, and so when you make that little bit of a shift, it can help because then you know not to make assumptions based off of the emotion that you're having. You can acknowledge that you're having an emotion. And that's not to say don't have emotions. Like don't, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't, you just shouldn't feel that way. No, 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 no. If you feel that way, you feel that way. There's a reason you feel that way. And it is completely valid that you feel that way, that it's, it's really important to know how you feel, to be able to express, I'm feeling like this. The difference is whether you're taking responsibility for the feeling or whether you're projecting it onto other people and saying that it's their fault. Because when you do that, then you give up your power. And now you aren't in charge. And now you can't do anything about it because it's not yours. So when you can own it and say, okay, I'm feeling like this. What's creating that feeling? What am I believing about the situation? And this is in conversation with yourself before you even get to the conversation with your partner. Am I understanding yeah. that correctly? Okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's, sometimes it's all mushed together and sure. you can't separate But ideally. <laughs> ideally, well, you know, even then it's like, it's all a process. It's all a journey and you're sure. journeying with somebody else. So, I mean, there were times that for me and my own journey, my own experience, um, I really struggled with passive aggressive behavior, Mm. um, based on some of the dynamics in my home growing up. Uh, I had learned to be passive aggressive to get what I want, you know, to take care of myself. I had to be passive aggressive. And so I, when I started dating my husband, that was not the way, like he was much more into direct communication. Yes. He taught me a lot early on. I mean, I've, I've, I've gone further with it, with my own studies and, and training and all of that. But initially he really taught me a lot about being in a healthy relationship just by showing up and being upfront about things. Um, and I was, I would watch myself and one time really stood out to me of, um, he was asking, he was saying he was going to go out after work and I didn't want him to, I wanted him to come home. But I didn't have a good reason for that. It was just a security thing for me. I felt uncomfortable with him going out to a bar uh, based on past stuff that sure. happened. It was a trigger for me. So I didn't want him to go, but I wanted him to be happy. I wanted him to have fun and be with his friends, but I didn't want him to go. And so he was asking me, is it okay? And like, is this, is it, do you have a problem with this? And I was like, no, it's fine. And then I would, I don't even remember what I would say, but then I would like make some passive aggressive, like, except I'm going to hate you forever kind of thing, you know, like I would, my physicality, my way of, you know, expressing was all telling him, no, do not do this. This would be terrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, yet at the same time I was saying go. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And I finally just, because I'd done the work to at least recognize that I had these patterns and see that 
there were triggers happening for me and to own it for myself. Mm-hmm. I basically told him at that point, I cannot stop myself from being passive aggressive here. I, I do not know how to do that yet. Um, I know I don't, I, I am afraid. I have the fear trigger happening. I, I want you to stay, but I, I want you to do what's best for you. I want you to make the best decision and you can't base that on what I'm doing and how I'm expressing because I literally, no matter how much I want to stop being passive aggressive and actually say genuinely, please go and have fun. I want to say that so bad. I can't. I I absolutely can't. So you just have to make the best decision for you and it'll be fine, but I can't. (laughs) And, um, and he did, and he went out and it was fine. We've been married for like 13 coming going on 14 years now. So like it's, it was fine. But at that moment, yeah, I could see what was going on, but I couldn't, I couldn't change the behavior. Yeah. What, what does it look like? I know that this is a deeper conversation than we can get into here today, but can you give us like a high level overview of what that work looks like to start recognizing your own patterns? Because I think I have also seen in my relationship where I can be really honest and be really clear, like same thing, not that I'm always perfect or showing up the right way, but saying, I'm not sure. And this is what it's bringing up for me goes a lot further than just being like, do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. When I say that, whatever, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) (laughs) which actually means you can do nothing right in this situation. Just find out what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) So what does some of that work look like? What is a starting point? And maybe we even have some resources that we can guide people to, to like start uncovering their own um, associations and motivations so that they can have better conversations with their partner. Yeah. So, um, Two of the things that I think are have been some of the most helpful things for me in exploring that is, um, first of all, working on remembering that what I say is about me mm. and what you hear is about you. And what you say is about you and what I hear is about me. Mm. So that's the first thing is, is trying to remember that. And then, um, and then also emotions, emotions are a great place to start because when you look at the emotion and engage it with curiosity, instead of making the assumption that it's something that's happening because of something else, you engage it and wonder what is this bringing up for me? What's going on that I'm, I'm feeling the way I'm feeling? How am I interpreting this? And then asking questions. The more curious you can get, the less judgmental you are. Mm. Um, and so the more open you can be to a conversation. So like, I'll give you an example that I like to use. Um, so like, say you've been at home, you got home first, or maybe you work from home or stay at home or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of chores to do. And you've been looking at them all day and you're like the laundry and the dishes and like all the things and oh my God. And your husband comes home and looks at the, you know, like in the kitchen goes, oh my God, there are a lot of dishes. <laughs> smiling for people listening to this. Do not see me smiling so big because of course this happens. It happens to all of us. Yeah. It happens and so- <laughs> you know, you know the reaction there, right? Like, oh really? Yeah. You try doing all the things that I do. What? 
you know, what have you been doing all day? How about you come home and deal with all this stuff and the kids and all, you know, like, you know, screw you, buddy. You know? Yes. Yes. General. It's a criticism, right? Like it feels yeah, like a criticism. Like a criticism. So the emotion is anger. The emotion is defensiveness and all of that. So what, what was that? Maybe, maybe he was just observing. It wasn't a criticism. It had nothing to do with you. Of course, now that you've attacked him, now he's going to get defensive right. and attack you back. And now you have a fight, right? Like that's, that's normal to happen. That's, it's a normal response. Um, if you can take a step back and go, okay, that's interesting. What may, what makes you say that? <laughs> or how do you feel about that? Yeah. You know, like I can know how I feel about that. I feel, I feel overwhelmed by that. I feel stressed out by that. And why do I feel stressed out by that? Because there's so many things on my to-do list and I'm feeling overwhelmed in general. So naturally, um, you know, how do you feel about that? Well, I have had a really stressful day and I just, I, I also felt like one more thing just came onto my plate and tipped the scales and stuff. Because usually if we have a stressful day, if we're feeling stressed out, we've got that lens on already. So everything is stressful. You know, the times when you like your kid does something and you explode versus the time they do the same thing. And you're like, okay, sweetie. So let's talk about what just happened. You know, like, Right. And to your point, it actually has more to do with you and your interpretation of the situation than your kid did the exact same thing, right? Exactly. They do the same exactly. thing all the time. And so the same thing with your partner, mm. same thing with, with your spouse, when your spouse comes home and, and has that kind of reaction, that's about them. It's not about you. And it's not a judgment about you. And if it is, that's still about them. Interesting. That's such an interesting shift. Cause I'll tell you, like, I had a situation very similar to this and um, I'll start by saying my husband's amazing. He really is like so wonderful, but he was out of town for 12 days and I was solo with two kids and our couch has been so dirty looking like a disaster. And so it was something that had been on my mind and then it got a pen mark on it while he was gone. And it's like this uncleanable, super annoying couch. So it's a thing, right? It's a thing we are both frustrated by. So he gets home and I said, yeah, like the couch is looking really bad. And he was like, yeah, I noticed. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, do you know what I just did this 12 days that you were gone? And I'm like, you know, even listening to you, I'm like, okay, wait, that was my reaction to a reaction that I incited in him. And all I did, I brought it up in the first place. And then it still felt like a criticism of me, right? Like as if my parenting hadn't been good enough. And that simple switch I could see being so powerful in approaching those situations and saying like, this isn't about me. And the truth is the couch does look like crap. And, and by the way, he then figured out like how to clean it and did all the work that weekend to like get the cushions cleaned up. And so with some distance, I can see that it had pretty much nothing to do with me, except that we own this couch together and we have kids who get stuff on it. Um, but it doesn't feel like that in the moment. And so I yeah. think this is a helpful technique to kind of like approach things a bit differently. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing to know is that sometimes hindsight is all you can harness mm. in the moment. Like in the moment, it just happens. And so the trick is so often when those things happen, it's really easy to get caught up in beating yourself up for handling it the way you did. Yeah. And that's just more energy drain. That's just more like exas again, it it reaffirms the beliefs that you have. So, so here's kind of the framework that I work in. Yeah. And that is that what you believe about yourself 
influences that lens. Everything in your past experiences, everything that's happened, your family, friends, society, all those things go into the, the filter that you look through. And that influences the way you see yourself and the way you see the world. And so what happens is we see something and it interacts with what we believe about ourselves. And that evokes a feeling. And the feeling indicates how we take action, how we behave, and how we behave gives us what we get, you know, like the way you act determines what you get. And that, because it stemmed from that thought about who you are, the way you are, it reaffirms it. You get, you get confirmation. Cause if I believe that, um, I'm not good enough, I can never be a good enough parent. And he says something that pushes that, that I perceive as I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough parent then that triggers, then I respond angrily. I, I feel upset. I feel angry. I attack back. Like I feel angry and then I'm more explosive. So then I'm more like, ah, and then they're crying or my husband is right. upset or whatever. And that reaffirms that I'm not a good enough wife or parent or whatever, you know? So, yes. and then, and then it, the cycle repeats because it's just confirmed that. So, which gives more impact to that lens, that subconscious lens and the story that I'm telling based on that lens. So the more curious you can get, the more you're taking a step back from that lens and not assuming that it's true. It's, it's the truth that I'm experiencing, but it's not necessarily fact based. So when sometimes you have that cycle happen and that's where I come in, that's the kind of work that I do. I come between the action and the thought and I help you get curious about it. I help you explore deeper than you would normally explore. Cause honestly, I mean, nobody can read the label on the box that they're in, as I said right, before. And right. so like, I help you read that label and get curious about the things that you wouldn't normally get curious about. So but the more you can, I mean, these are things that you can do yourself when you take a step back instead of beating yourself up that I just lost my noodle, you know, like, um, what happened there? What, what, do, what, tri- what got triggered for me? What was I believing about myself? Um, what's my purpose in this relationship? It's one of the things that I love coming back to uh, in general, in any kind of relationship. What is my purpose in this relationship? You know, my purpose with my spouse is to, is to be a partner and work together and um, be supportive. And so knowing that that's my purpose, what would I, you know, what were my triggers? My triggers were that I was, um, I was hungry. I forgot to eat lunch. Oops. You know, I was tired. My kids woke me up several times last night. Yeah, of course I was tired. You know, I'm, I'm PMSing. Hey, (laughs) my back hurts. I have pain. Some, you know, whatever's pulling our attention, draining our energy. And then, okay. So that was going on. That makes sense. And then, all right. So what, what would I want to do differently? What was the story that I was telling myself? I was telling myself that he was, he was telling me I sucked. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) Um, so how true is that? Um, and, and sometimes you can even ask, you say, you know what, I, I experienced this in a particular way. I was just wondering, what did you mean by that? Hmm. I'll ask people that all the time when I'm talking to a client and they'll say, they'll say something like, uh, I work with a lot of entrepreneurial moms and they'll say, you know, success. I'm like, well, what does success mean to you? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Like people use that word calm. 
what's calm like for you? Like what would actually be calm? You know, so many times we use words and we just kind of make assumptions around what they mean for ourselves, let alone other people. Yeah. My husband, I love this one. Um, My husband was having a really rough day and I was trying to be supportive and I was like, you know, doing, affirming him, you know, like acknowledging and validating what he was going through and, you know, like trying to ask him questions or whatever. And he's like, um, he's, he said, uh, you know, I don't feel like you're supporting me. I'm like, well, what, what does support look like to you? Stop coaching me. (laughs) Like, you know, normal people ask questions too. But I needed to know, I needed to know, like, how do I support you? Because right now I'm doing the things that I think are supportive, but you're not experiencing it that way. And so I'm, instead of getting angry at him Mm -hmm. for not accepting the support I'm trying to give, I I need to know, well, what is supportive for you? What, What would feel nurturing? Yeah. That's so interesting because I see it as such a powerful thing in reverse too. And I often hear this with people who are making like big life changes when it comes to wellness and they are trying to maybe change the course of what they're on. And they'll say things like, my partner isn't supportive or they don't want to do this too, as if things can only be done together if we're both on the exact same page. And I think it would be so interesting to for folks who are feeling that, who are mm-hmm. not feeling supported, like they don't have what they need to actually make this happen, to ask themselves, what does support look like in this situation? What mm-hmm. do I need from my partner? And then perhaps asking themselves the question, is that even realistic to ask, right? Because sometimes we are looking outside of ourselves for things that only we can do, right? Only we cannot eat the mm-hmm. coffee cake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But you can also set boundaries. Yes. And say, hey, you know, it's it's really hard for me when there's coffee cake present. Um, so I'm t- I understand if you aren't doing the same thing that I'm doing, I would really appreciate it if you would be willing to e- either not have coffee cake or eat it not around not eat it around me. Mm. You know, keep the coffee cake at work, you know, <laughs> yeah. you want. Um, so there are places where like even taking it another step further is having that conversation of what are you needing? What would be supportive to you? So like, what's supportive to me right now? What, what do I need? What is actually doable outside of myself? And then also engage, engage in a conversation of asking. So often we get into this, I have to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot when you have a spouse of like, I, you know, my spouse just doesn't know how to do anything. So I need to tell them how to do all the things. And that gets exhausting. And it doesn't feel like a partnership. And it feels like you're parenting your spouse as well as your kids. And that's exhausting and not fair. Right. Um, So it's allowing them, but some of that is allowing them to make decisions and knowing that they're not necessarily going to make the decisions that you would make, or they're not necessarily going to do things the way you would do them. But when you can engage in conversation, well, what, what made you say that? Or what, you know, what led, what, what thought was, was that about? Or how are you feeling about this? Even, Hey, I'm doing some changes. What's that bringing up for you? Yeah. Because sometimes that may bring up guilt for them or, you know, like I, I'm, I feel like I should be doing this, but I really don't want to. And now I feel bad. And when you feel bad, you pull back. Yeah. 
because that's, that's a normal response to have is if you're feeling bad, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling guilty, um, that's a retreat mode and that's a shutdown mode. And that's a mode that's like self preservation. I feel like life's happening to me Mm -hmm. and I don't have control and that limits what options you have available. So, and that's true for, for everybody. We all have that space of when you're in overwhelm, you're in a space of, of pull, pull in to yourself to self protect. And sometimes that's necessary more often than not. It's not, it just feels like we're being attacked and that's not, it's not a real thing. It's like the dog barking at the door when the mailman's trying to deliver a letter, not a burglar trying to enter the house. Right. 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 It's like, it feels protective. Yeah. (laughs) But. And so helping somebody else engage that, like your spouse of like asking them questions, get curious about what's going on for them. How are they experiencing this? Um, what, what would be supportive for them even, um, what are they interested in doing? How would they like to engage with this, the changes that you're looking to make um, and have it be a conversation? Yeah, I love this idea of a conversation too, because I think often we also uncover things like, well, I really love, and this has been a real conversation between my husband and I, I really love going out to delicious dinners with you. And I'm worried that if you are making these big changes that we won't be able to do that anymore, right? And for me, that's always been a simple answer, which is like nothing I do over, like that might mean we try to be more intentional in when we go out and how often, but that is not something I'm willing to give up. And it turns out we're on the same page, but Mm -hmm. it takes a real conversation to realize that, right? That it's not this bigger thing that impacts the way that we approach things as a couple. Yeah. And so often we make the most assumptions about the people that are closest to us. Mm. We assume that everybody thinks about the world the same way that we do. And so what I'm, it's, it kind of gets into this, like, I think that you think that I think. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then there's, that's way too much thinking. We need to step back from that. (laughs) No, 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 no. We don't need to, we don't need to be mind readers. We're not playing a chess game. It's not, that's not life. Yeah. Uh, So actually getting curious about it instead of making an assumption that they're thinking about it the same way that you think that you would think about it. Were you them? (laughs) As just, <laughs> I'm already confused. Right? I love, yeah. I, I love this. And I think that there's something here that I want to explore a little bit more with you, which is like, we, I think every woman I talk to is like, communication is a hard thing in my relationship. So if we feel like that's one of the hard parts, is the best thing to do to just like show up and start being honest about your side of the conversation? Because of course you can't make somebody else talk about things, but like, what does it look like to just start this if we are not at like a very super conversational starting point about feelings and thoughts and motivations and all of those things currently? Mm -hmm. Um, A big piece, if you're not ready to just show up, I mean, it, again, it's very individual and Mm -hmm. very much based on what your relationship looks like, but even just doing that work to take that step back and, and, question what's going on for you will make a difference because you'll engage differently. Um, and when you engage differences, just going back to that equation, when you engage differently, even if you're not directly talking about things, if you're showing up differently, it will have an impact. 
Um, so often, even if you do some, so this is one of the things that happens a lot is that people think if I do this, then I'll have life will look like this. And then I will be this person. Mm -hmm. And it's that backwards. You be the person. Otherwise you don't do the things that's not sustainable. You can, you can force yourself and fight yourself to do the things, but you won't sustain it because you're not being that person. So be the curious person, you know, have, have, this is, this is one of the places where having like an intention is helpful if you're utilizing it as a a touchstone kind of thing of like, okay, um, what's, uh, my intention is to, to be, um, to listen. Okay. Well, what does listening look like in this situation? Maybe it's asking a question. Maybe it's just listening. Um, maybe it's listening to myself more, more than necessarily him. Like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm hearing myself getting angry. I need to take some space. Hey, can we talk about this later? I'm I'm feeling really triggered and I, I want to engage this differently. Um, and I know I'm not gonna, if we keep having this conversation right now. So take a minute. Like you can always ask for space. So often we feel like we have to respond right then, but you don't. Yeah. Most of the time you don't. You can say, that's an interesting point. Let me get back to you on that. I'm going to think about that a little bit. I hadn't thought of it like that before. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's all kinds of ways to approach. So it's really deciding and it does all the the cornerstone of like deciding who do you want to be? What is that person like? Yeah. It's so interesting because you said something like you, we think will like be a certain type of person when we do the thing. And I see this come up so much again, going back to the wellness space of saying Mm -hmm. like, I will be a healthy person. Like I'll live a healthy life when I've lost the weight. But the truth is that you will never lose the weight. You will never do the workouts. You will never do the thing until you decide you are the person who does the thing right? Like until I show up as a person who makes my health a priority, who makes putting healthy food on the table a priority, because it does, it takes time and energy and commitment and it doesn't happen by accident. I'm sorry if that's not a sexy message. Um, <laughs> like, I'm sorry that like, I don't have a sexy answer for you, but it takes like showing up in the kitchen and doing the work and buying the vegetables and you know, all of the things until you are doing those things, you won't be the person that you think other people are that you look at and say, like, I want to be healthy, fit, energetic, you know, well, like those people. So I love how this kind of like comes back to that also. Yeah. Oh, I, one of the things I know we're wrapping up for time, but one of the things we talked about when you and I were chit-chatting before this was, um, this idea of like roles that are just, um, I can't think of the right word, like the socially accepted roles of partners and the different things that people do. And I was just talking about cooking, but I think this shows up for a lot of the people I work with. Like I am expected to, and this is me and a lot of the people I work with to make the kids lunches, to do the grocery shopping, to do the planning. And for me, I can at least justify it because that's the type of business that I run. So it is like in my zone of genius. But for those of us who feel like we don't want to be making the lunches and all the food decisions and have to do all the cooking. What does that conversation and maybe like the renegotiation of roles look like mm-hmm. in conjunction with all the things you've shared with us? Yeah. Um, okay. So I was bringing it all together. Yes. Um, it, it, it comes down to the subconscious 
decisions that are being made about what you're supposed to do and what you should do. And oftentimes we find ourselves falling into these patterns of, well, this is what I do. Now, so the question really comes down to um, how willing are you to relinquish control over those things? Because sometimes, like I've worked with people who were like, I really want more help in the house. Okay, well, what are you willing to let your husband do? Oh, he's going to screw this up. He's going to screw this up. He's going to say, well, okay. So you're not willing to relinquish control. So so then you're in charge of it. Then, then you're in charge of it. I, I, I am smiling so big because that's exactly what's happened with food in our house is my husband has very much like tried to take on some of the meal prep and stuff. And then I will micromanage his decisions. I'm not a micromanager. I like to think I let him parent the way that he parents. He's an amazing dad. Like he shows up great. I let when, when he's on duty, they eat what they eat. They do what they do. Like, but I really struggle with when he's like, I'm going to make dinner, not being like, okay, add some kale to it and do it this way. And like, why are you chopping it that way? And so I have just ended up in that role of owner. And the way you just said it actually makes me feel really good about that. Like, okay, I can take ownership, but I'm not taking ownership of the laundry. And it has come to a place because I've been like, the laundry happens when it happens that we share that duty. And so I can see how this like really comes to life. Yeah. Yeah. You teach them, you teach each other what, what you will do by the way you engage it. If there's a lot of uh, negative interaction, like the micromanaging around something, you teach them that nobody wants to feel like they're not capable. Of course. Right. So, so you're naturally going to avoid things that trigger that message that I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. And so if you're giving the message based on the way you're engaging around a particular thing in the home that he's not capable, of course he's not going to do it. Mm. So the question then becomes, how much are you willing to let go? And then having a conversation over what's, what are your values? Like what is, what's important to you about your home? And I don't just mean like, you know, like family values. It's like, um, my husband cares a lot about like surfaces being clean. Just he's the type A in the, in the home. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I will have messes and it can get like my tolerance for messy countertops is much higher than his. And it'll get to a point and then I'm like, I will clean everything. Same. But that's exactly. the way I am. The way he is, is he just, it, the more it piles, the more stressed out he gets. So he really wants things cleaned off. And, um, and so he, we had this, situation where he, there there were some piles of mine some paper things on, um, I think it was books on our sideboard. And he's like, would you please move those? Like, I need you to move those. And I did, I moved them and then I pulled them out again and I, and they ended up back there. They didn't go back right away. (laughs) And somewhere along the lines, like he missed that they weren't there for a little while. And then they came back and we ended up, we were having an argument about something. I don't even remember if that's what started it, but he was just like, and I keep asking you to move the things. And I was like, I moved the things. And like, they just can't, you know, like we were arguing and I, I paused, you know, one of those like grumbly silences where you're like fuming internally trying to decide how you want to punish him. Um, (laughs) I was having, I, I took a step back and I thought about, okay, so what values of his are being threatened here? And it's, it's his values of, of having a clean countertop, but it's also a value of being heard 
-hmm. He didn't feel like I had heard him. And I have a value around being acknowledged. And I felt like my effort had not been acknowledged. So of course, we're both feeling upset. We had two values being threatened. And so I was able to take that step back and go, you know what, honey, of course you're upset because you feel like I didn't, I, I didn't honor your request. Like I didn't, you feel like I didn't hear you. So I told, of course, I would be upset if, if I wasn't feeling heard too. So I understand that why you're upset. And, um, I want you to know that I did hear you and I did do something. And he's like, Oh, I missed that. Thank you for doing something. Would you do something again? Yeah. (laughs) But, but when you can take that step back and acknowledge and validate the way somebody's feeling, it changes the entire dynamic. So knowing, but when you can sit down together and acknowledge what's important in your home and where the, where are the places of stress? you know, the places of stress, what are the things that need to get done that you want to, to have happen? And how can you, and, and ask questions about like, if this is something you're willing to let go of and how you might do it differently, you know, like, um, okay, I'm willing to let go of this. Um, the way this goes, these, they're the things that I would love your, I would love your input on how to handle these things because they're stressing me out. Mm-hmm. And then that opens the door for him to share. Now, it's really important if you open the door, you got to let him walk through it. <laughs> yes. I feel like there's such an important shift here. And this is what I love about you is that it really starts with the internal work. And I think so often in relationships, in parenting, in partnership, it feels like, well, I just need him to, I need this other person to do this thing. And I love the idea of starting with like, what am I even willing to get help with? And where am I blocking that help in places that I actually do need it? Like, I don't care how the laundry's done. I just want it done. My husband cares how it's folded. And actually that has become like a thing where I'm like, if it's important to you, you fold it, but please don't teach me your way of folding. Yeah. We like you had the same thing. Yeah. If you have strong <laughs> feelings about folding, then you're welcome to fold it. I'll fold it, but it's just going to happen the way that it happens on the timeline it happens, right? Well, and I have a thing about I do not want to fold it and then have you refold it. So if you're going to refold yeah. it, I'm not even folding it at all. But it's so easy to like look at an example like that and be like, oh, husbands. But where are we showing up, showing up as moms doing the exact same thing, right? And I can fully own and recognize that there are so many places in my life where I have this temptation to be like, I'll even like check the car seat sometimes and be like, listen, car seat safety is really important, but probably my time would be better spent just like pointing out that it really needs to be under the armpits and like, this is what it looks like when it is. And trusting that he is like a super smart, caring, knowledgeable dad who also knows how to use a car seat, then be like secretly checking it every time. Well, and you can even say this is, this is something that I, I have a fear around. Like yes. this is something that I get really scared of. What yes. could we do? You know, I, I find myself doing this. I don't want you to feel bad about it. It's just something that, that I just, I have a, yeah, I have a paranoia around. And then, you know, if he has ideas over, Hey, I, I want you to know that I do that too. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't even know he's doing the same thing. Like, yes. I don't know if that's the case, but like when you can have a conversation about it and just acknowledge what's going on for you, yep. that opens the door. It's a, it's about, you know, Brianna Brown talks about this, about being vulnerable, mm-hmm. be willing to be vulnerable in your relationship. And if you're not willing to be vulnerable in your relationship, there's something to look at. Yeah. There. 
I, I love that so much because that is sort of what's happened is like over time, he's like, what's the deal with checking the car seats? And I'm like, you know, I just have read all these story, like horror stories and I want to make sure that we're using them right. And he's like, you know, I've, I've read all this stuff. Like I'm making sure that I'm using it right. And I feel like even just saying that saying like, this is really important to me. And I don't know if you've read the same things I have. So I'm just telling you that like, I know these things and that makes me nervous that makes me worried that it has helped me to not now feel like I have to check every time. Right. And like that has freed up brain space for me because of course he's like taking the kids and doing stuff with them. And, um, you know, it's just like a small tweak, but I think these small tweaks can have big impact. And there's a lot of places that we can use this advice you gave us today around like asking why and, um, a, acknowledging sort of what's going on for us and then getting in conversation and true partnership with our partner that can really move the needle on our overwhelm and like cycling on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know there's more here that we can all learn from you. So where are the places that people can go if they're like Valerie dropped so much knowledge in this one hour. I need to know more of what's in her brain and how I can put this into play in my life. Where can we find you? So you can find me on all the social medias under the unlimited mom. Um, the best one is Facebook. Okay. And you can also find me on my website, theunlimitedmom.com. And, um, yeah, Facebook, I do a, I do a regular live on Mondays. Um, I primarily talk, like I said, a lot of the people I work with are entrepreneurial moms. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do a lot of talking around that, but I work with, I've worked with couples. I've worked with single ladies. I, you know, it spans the, the gamut. So, um, if you have something that you wanted to hear me talk about, feel free to reach out. Um, and I do also have a freebie that um, is actually, it's going back. It's part of my, it became part of my course, Okay. Um, which is the mindset reset course, which walks you through a lot of some of the things that we talked about here and, and more than that. Um, so, but it's about to just be part of that instead of my freebie. Um, so if you want to go grab it, it's available right now. It's, um, about it's I call it the the uh, pocket pacifier. It's about helping you regain your calm and doing those checks, cool. um, the five five checks to kind of help you take that step back and check in on how you're engaging. Um, and so that's still available. I think that's probably the most pertinent to what we've talked about today. Cool. And they can find that at theunlimitedmom.com. At theunlimitedmom.com. Nice. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I have some tidbits, some things I'm going to walk away with just around like starting with me and then getting in conversation with my husband that I think are going to go a long way to, you know, clearing some of the things off my plate that I feel ownership over that I don't actually want to own. And then considering some places where maybe I actually want ownership and I just haven't um, recognized that up until now. Awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate you being here today. I hope that you listeners will go check out Valerie and her unlimited mom, um, different spots on Facebook and online and in all the places so that you can continue learning from her. And I will talk to you guys again next week. Take care.